Have any unexplained crazy ghost stories you'd like to share with us? Well, then write into unexpectedhaunting739 at gmail.com. That's right, unexpectedhaunting739 at gmail.com. Send us in a media file or just write in. As simple as that. We hope to hear from you guys soon and thank you for your continued support. What do you do? When you get a dreadful phone call in the middle of the night saying there's a bomb in the house. A story on an abandoned house being possessed and a crazy bone-chilling story of these daredevils trying to run away from a vicious ghost train. More coming up for you on today's episode of Unexpected Hauntings. Stay tuned. Get ready for an eye-opening podcast that will have you on the edge of your seat. These stories have been approved by my friends to be told, and now they will be shared with you. Now listen if you dare. What's going on, everyone? Ben Shields here, and you're listening to... That's right, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Unexpected Hauntings. Ben here, and um, this is actually our episode 10, Um, so thank you for tuning in with us today. Um, We have some crazy stories, and um, the train story, actually, that I talked about last in the intro is um, a story that has been passed down um, from generation of my family, and I thought I would share that story to you guys. It's, um, It's called The Train of High Bridge. And um, it takes place in Highbridge, Kentucky. And uh, it's just a crazy, crazy story about um, these kids doing a truth or dare and it going wrong. And um, this actually did happen. Uh, It was insane. And people still say that they see the train on the tracks. Um, But I won't go into detail with that because I want you guys to actually hear the story. And um, I'm actually doing something different uh, with that story in particular. I'm going to be doing some sound effects for you guys. Um, Let me know how that does. And if you guys like that, I might do that with every story. But I'm just doing that with every other story of each episode. Um, Just to do something different to get you guys more engaged, I guess, into the stories. Because I know... You can probably zone out. I know sometimes when I listen to different podcasts and you just hear um, music and talking, um, you can get sidetracked. Um, and like, especially like, I might be listening to a podcast sometimes and I'll be cutting the grass or I'll be at work and it's just easy to get sidetracked. So I think that adding sound effects um, to the story adds a little bit of flavor, if you want to say. <laughs> More flavor. To the um, to the stories, and it kind of brings them back to life, I think. Um, but anyways, yeah, just chilling on a Sunday uh, morning, uh, almost close to afternoon of the uh, 14th of June uh, today, and pretty much COVID is pretty much. I don't want to say it's done, but uh, pretty much is. <laughs> Everyone's back out and uh, no masks. I've been eating out recently, and uh, yeah, life is good again. So as long as no one, you know, eats a bat or does some crazy shit like that, then we'll be okay. Um, 
but yeah, I'm actually going to be starting with the train story first, so I'm going to be going kind of backwards for you guys. Um, going to be doing the train story first, and of course, um, going to be doing the uh, dreaded phone call, and then the house possessed, um, which was pretty wild because uh, a house possessed, it's not really what you think it is, I guess. It's... Um, basically a story of this lady and she likes to go visit abandoned houses and it's when this one time when she like becomes addicted to this house and ends up like sucking her in it's really it's really a neat story i think pretty wild it plays with your mind and it just fucks with it it's a it's an insane story so um without further ado we're going to start with the train story and um of course we're going to do the um leave all the comments and um um uh, i won't be doing any like commentation uh that's a word <laughs> um in between and um i'm gonna be saving that for after the stories of course so um i think that that just kind of flows better because it's just you know fluid story after story after story and then discussion um but um Whatever works best for you guys. If you like that, cool. If you don't, um, email us and let us know. UnexpectedHaunting739 at gmail.com. Make sure to write in to us as well on our ghost stories. Um, we haven't had any write-ins in a while. So just uh, be great to hear from you guys and just keep these stories going. Um, and uh, we love you guys out there. And uh, all right, without further ado, here we go with... The Highbridge Train Story. Opening in 1877, about 143 years from today's current date, the first ever cantilever bridge in the U.S. was built. The big railroad bridge towers 275 feet over the river that connects two counties for ways of transportation of goods. Through the years, this towering bridge has seen many deaths some accidental falls, and some even suicides. That is where this story comes into play, when a dare goes terribly wrong. The year was 1965 on a hot and humid day in June. As kids, four siblings seemed to get bored real easy with no school going on. So it's only natural to have some fun with a little innocent game of truth or dare, right? Hi, my name is Jimmy. I'm one of the three siblings. My other brother and sister's names are Mike, Larry, and Reba. She's the only sister I have and the oldest, so she, so she is the mother of the bunch. Anyways, it all started when I overheard a story from our neighbor going on about a bridge that's close by. He said he heard a train whistle and saw its lights gliding over the tracks the other night. This was impossible, I thought, as I knew the train hasn't been on those tracks in ages. It was abandoned, so to speak. I spoke up to the group soon after I overheard this, and they dared me to go check it out, and said that if the tracks are there, as the crazy neighbor said, then we'll go and check it out tomorrow night. Scared out of my mind, we all walked through the woods to the entrance of the trail, going up to the so-called train tracks of High Bridge. All right, Slim Jim, go find those tracks, Reba announced. Yeah, you got this, Mike and Larry chimed in. 
Well, the time had come. It was time to hike up into the unknown for what seemed like forever. Two miles in and I finally made it to the tracks. The neighbor was right. And looking down the tracks, I could see a clearing. Could these tracks also lead to the high bridge over the river? As I walked a little further, I discovered it was. I think I found the perfect place for all of us to go tomorrow night, I muttered to myself. Mike, Larry, and Reba were still waiting for me when I came back down from the trail. Well, did you find the train tracks up there? They all said in unison. I did, and I can't wait to show you guys tomorrow night, I said with a grin. We all grew anxious as the next day came. Thoughts of, what are we going to do up there on the tracks? What kind of excuse are we going to tell our parents? And so on came rushing through our heads. When night hit and we were about to head up to the dreaded two-mile hike, I told them that the tracks were connected to the high bridge and that we should hang out on the bridge and see what we can see over the river. They agreed, so when we got up there, all was good as we tracked another mile down the track to the clearing over the river. Wouldn't it be terrible if a train were to come at this very moment, Reba said in a menacing voice. We would have no choice but to jump off the bridge or run and try and make it back to the woods, Reba explained. Please don't say that, sis, I said, as I... I said as I didn't want her to jinx what she had said. An hour went by as I heard a low, muffled whistle flow through the trees. I disregarded it. My mind was playing tricks on me. But as soon as the thought popped into my head, there came another whistle. Sound this time loud enough that everyone heard it. Was that what I think it was? Larry said in a shivering voice. It can't be. These tracks have been, haven't been used in more than 15 years, I said in an alarming voice. As the whistle of the mysterious train gained in volume, so did its visibility. We could now clearly see its front light beaming into our very souls. When we saw the train on its way at full speed, we bolted for the woods, which was less than a mile away. I was in the front, Mike and Larry behind me, and Reba was behind them. As I made it to the woods, I instantly dropped and hid behind the tree. We made it, I said with a sigh of relief. As I looked behind me, they weren't there. In a panic, I ran out to the tracks and saw they were still out there on the bridge, not far from where I was. Hurry up, you can make it, I yelled, tearing them on. But I noticed the reason why they were still out there. Reba had gotten her foot stuck under the tie of the track. A tie is the wooden plank the rails sit on. As I noticed this, I ran out to go help, but it was no use. Her foot was going nowhere, and the train was getting closer. It soon got to the point where we had to run for our lives and leave our only sister, Reba, behind. As the train hit her, you could hear her blood-curdling scream as it started out loud and shrill, and then slowly died into nothing. After what happened, we ran back down the trail and never looked back. To this day on June, at night, you can still see the lights of the train of Highbridge and can hear the blood-curdling scream of our dear sister. It's almost as if the train comes back every June in hope of taking our souls as well and finishing what has started.
This is a true story that happened to me long ago when I was 10 years old. This story happened in a small town in the leafy suburbs north of New York City in Westchester County. It didn't happen at my house, but at the house of one of my good friends at the time, about a walking block away from where I live. This is one of those towns in Westchester where there are huge suburban houses set among oak and maple trees. It was a safe neighborhood where I knew the owners of each house by name. The houses were generally quite large with multiple floors and several bedrooms. The house where this scary story takes place was extra large. It was not the shining hotel large, but it was a large colonial house with five bedrooms on the second level. The family living there had five children ranging from 10 to the upper teenage years at that time. The night this happened was a dark and cold night. The parents were out with dinner plans that evening and I was there visiting with my friend Byron, who is also 10, and his brother Jacob was 12. These are not their names in real life, it was just the three of us in a large house on a dark night during October. I knew this family quite well so felt very at home in their home. We were just goofing around in that at that night, playing some games and watching TV, three kids in a large empty house. So this is where the night becomes creepy. The three of us in the kitchen with the lights on bright. It was around 11.30 at night. So it was late, but not super late. The phone rang and Jacob, acting as head of the household at 12 years old, answered, Hello. We then saw Jacob get a peculiar look on his face and hesitantly said, Just a minute. And then did something a bit odd. He rested the phone down on a chair. This was one of those wall phones from the 1900s. I don't think people still use those in 2018. In any case, he put the phone down and just left it and walked upstairs. I remember thinking it was a strange thing to do, but still could have had a reasonable explanation for it. I looked at Byron and he also had a curious what-the-fuck type of expression on his face. We were quiet for a few seconds and both of our facial expressions showed signs that we thought this was peculiarly odd. In a few moments, Jacob is going to be running down those stairs in a panic, screaming for us all to get immediately out of the house. But before we get to that part, here's what happened upstairs. Jacob climbed the stairs and went into his parents' bedroom, where there is a tabletop telephone. This is one of those old corded phones where you pick the receiver and hold it to your ear. Not exactly an iPhone 10. There was no way to know who was calling. Jacob picked up, the, picked the phone up and said, Okay, I'm upstairs. What's up? A few moments went by with dead silence, and Jacob asked, Hello? Then the voice came. It was cal- calm but cold. Jacob, there's a bomb inside your house, and it's going to blow away any second now click the other end had hung up he dropped the phone and felt panic rush through his body he ran out of the bedroom and down the stairs and started screaming get out of the house there's a bomb in the house and there's a bomb in the house we saw jacob at the bottom of the stairs running 
He did not waste any time heading straight through the foyer and outside and down the stone path that leads away from the house and out to the street. Byron and I ran out with confusion. Jacob stopped running when he arrived at the other side of the street on the sidewalk. We looked across the street at this huge house, looking very eerie in the dark night. The house had several lights on and the front door was open and it was empty. There was no one around. The neighborhood was still quiet. It was just three kids, the oldest 12, year, 12 years old, standing there on a cold October night at almost, at almost midnight, scared out of our wits and waiting for the house to burst into fire. I was feeling chills through my body and chills on my skin from the dark cold air. <clears throat> our jackets were just in there and we could just go get them so easily but thought the house could blow up any second. Jacob explained what had happened on the phone call upstairs and that he thought that his uncle, that it was his uncle Jerry, but now didn't think it was his uncle Jerry. It was bizarre that the caller knew he answered on the ground floor and told him to go upstairs. How could he know this? We thought that maybe he told Jacob to go upstairs so that he wouldn't have enough time to get out of the house before the possible explosion. We stood there. We waited. We were scared. We were cold. We thought the large, boxy, empty, illuminated house on this dark night would soon be in flames. Or that there was a chance it would be in flames. It never blew up but we were still afraid to go inside because maybe it would blow up then. Eventually we went to the neighbor's house. The father there didn't seem as scared as we were, but he called, did call the police. The police searched through the house and Byron and Jacob's parents also arrived home. I see the whole thing was some kind of practical joke, a prank call, and there was never a bomb. We never found out who made the call, and Jacob to the day still has no idea who it could have been and still says that he, at first, thought it was a friendly call from their uncle. There are a few pranksters in the neighborhood. Actually, we were among the biggest pranksters in the neighborhood. Still doesn't explain how the caller knew Jacob was in the downstairs phone and that there was another telephone upstairs. And further, it seems like the caller knew who he was speaking to. Who could do such a prank that is so sinister to a few vulnerable kids home alone on such a night? I've always been quite adventurous, so it stands to reason that when I had spare time alone, I would hop in my car and go exploring. I especially liked finding old abandoned homes, and there are a lot of them in Colorado. My husband hated the fact that I would do this completely alone, and he always was afraid that I would get into trouble. When I saw a no trespassing sign, it was an invitation, so it's no surprise that I would often be where I wasn't supposed to be. One day, while out driving down old roads, that I happened upon an old abandoned farmhouse, so I pulled into the driveway. There was no garage or carport, so my car was in plain sight. The old red brick farmhouse was all boarded up, 
but around the side of the house there was an opening where one of the boards had fallen off. So I scrambled on up and crawled through. I found myself in a front bedroom. Of course it was rather dark, but there were cracks in the boards that let in just enough light that you could easily maneuver throughout the house without too much difficulty. Imagine my surprise to find everything still in the house, untouched. Near as I could tell, it had been empty since sometime in the 60s, so I had been sitting in this condition for at least 20 years. I found this very strange that no kids had gotten inside to party, nor any evidence of a homeless person, especially since this house could be easily seen from I-25, a major highway that goes through the heart of Denver, and there was an exit within walking distance to this house. Denver had a very large homeless population, just like all big cities have. The living room had all the furniture, lamps, tables, and bedrooms all had armors and iron beds. Everything left in the kitchen along with home canned goods, spices, dishes, everything was still there. In the bedroom where I entered there was a portable toilet and I wondered if someone had been sick. I got a feeling that was the case. I spent hours there just looking through pictures and postcards of the family that had lived there. There was a ton of Catholic paraphernalia too. You know, crucifixes in the walls, rosary beads and the like. It was fascinating to me. And I was trying to figure out why this family had left the house this way. And I was so surprised when I came out how many hours had passed. But I chalked it up to being too involved in losing track of time. I've never worn a watch, so... It wasn't hard to believe that this could happen. This place also wasn't too far from my house, so I would go there as often as I, as I could and wander the grounds. Investigating the sheds and outhouse, the root cellar under the house was loaded with old canned goods and rotted root vegetables. The smell, of course, after all this time was non-existent, so really it wasn't unpleasant. I kept wondering what had happened here. I did not know the family that owned this home lived just around the corner on the same street. How I found out was they caught me there and ran me off. I watched them as they left and saw where they went. Now when I would go back I'd look to see if they were home before I'd go in. So week after week, month after month I would go back there so much to explore. Time after time, they would catch me there again and again and always run me off. I always wondered why they never called the police on me, but they never did. I think they knew I was being haunted, although I was not aware of this time. Later on, after I had been exploring the n for a number of months, I began to find myself with there with no recollect recollection as to how or when I had gotten there. But every time I went in, hours and hours would go by, and every time I came out, I was always surprised at how much time had passed. I would think I was in there about two hours, but would find at least six hours had passed, and it was dusk. It would begin to get dark, and I would have to leave because, of course, there was no electricity. I was completely taken over and got it into my mind that I wanted to buy this house. 
So I talked to my husband about it, never revealing to him that I had been going there. I kept it a secret from everyone, even my best friend. I did some research and tried out, tried to find out anything I could about it. I did find out that it was built in 1910, but could get no further information about it. I even tried to talk to the people that owned the house, but they would never tell me anything at all and would just tell me to leave again. I never damaged anything and left everything as it was. I never took anything from the house until one day. I was drawn to an old green woven clothes hamper in very good condition, and since I needed one at home, I took it. No one would miss it, right? Now I had a now I had made a connection. Bad move. Soon after I took this hamper, I had a dream. Or was it a dream? A figure in a dark hooded cloak approached me and said, Can I come in to you and finish living out the rest of my life? I replied, If I do, then when I then when do I can to live out the rest of my life? And the figure disappeared and I woke up. Creepy, huh? I do believe that the hamper was the catalyst for this event. I should not have taken anything. Thou shall not steal. There's always a reason for his commandments. The next time I went to this house, it had been completely demolished. The house and all of the outbuildings were gone. There was absolutely no trace of anything there. Not a brick, not a board, not even the foundation. The root cellar had been filled in completely. I was devastated and wondered how and why they did this. The house was safe and I could have and could have been sold. I had been going there two I I had been going there two and three times a week, so I don't know how this was accomplished so quickly. I wonder if the dream came after this destruction, but I had not known what they had done and the hamper made it possible for the spirit to come to me. I kept that hamper for a number of years and was always haunted by whatever had happened there. As long as I held on to it, I could not release myself from the spirit that inhabited that house, although I never had any more dreams. I finally did rid myself of it, though, because I knew as long as I hung on to it, I'd never be free. I do not remember how I disposed of it, but... It wasn't until then that I was finally released, but his hat but this had gone on for years. I am very much more careful now when and where I go, and will stand outside and take the time to size up the spirits or spirit connected to these old places before entering. Please, if you're out exploring and you find a place like this, do not take anything as you don't know what you're bringing home and if you have taken anything from a house like this get rid of it now all right guys um so those are the three stories for today's episode um let me know what your what your favorite um story was um it'd be interesting to know uh which story stood out to you the most or if you have some type of um, connection to one of these stories. Um, 
Write us a review, let us know, or message us on our Facebook page or email us. Either way, there's three different ways to get out to us. Um, and we'd love to hear from you guys as well for that. Um, but yeah, High Bridge, um, we'll just start off with a discussion about that. Um, it's insane, and I've actually been able to go and see it. It is huge. And it used to be the biggest train um, bridge in the U.S. And it was the first one built to go over a river. Um, that's what that meant in the beginning. Basically, is the first ever steel bridge for train tracks in a train um, to go over a river in the U.S. So, it's pretty wild to think of. Um, but, uh, yeah, the, uh, we did... We did lose a family member unfortunately during this um, during this incident but I thought it would be good to share um, not only for you know a good ghost story it is considered the ghost train of Kentucky I'm pretty sure um, still today but um, I didn't use their real names of course Reba or her name wasn't Reba um, you know, Larry and Mike and, uh, Jim, Jimmy, <laughs> I just, I like just throwing in Slim Jim in there, but, um, yeah, of course their names weren't used for privacy reasons, but, um, yeah, it was a crazy story because, um, the irony of them going out on the bridge and looking over the river and, you know, you can just kind of picture this in your head. You just, you know, it's a clear night, stars are out. You can look over the river and then you just hear a train whistle in the distance, um, like the sound effect in the in the um, story. And you, you just, you're, the hairs on your back just stand up. Or if you don't have hairs on your back, you know, you get goosebumps. Um, and you're just like, what the fuck? You know? And um, so it's a crazy story because you look around and there's just track and track and a ledge. <laughs> so, um, they seriously had no choice but to run, but unfortunately, um, a family member, she got stuck and moved and had to run for their lives. Um, so, tragic event on, uh, High Bridge, but, um, a bone-chilling story, nonetheless, really. And I'm thinking about sharing this story, of course, on Reddit. Uh, I'm not sure when, because I've been staying pretty, pretty steady, pretty busy lately. Um, and uh, I don't know. I might definitely have to share this out there. I might actually make a little YouTube video of it as well. But um, anyways, we'll go on to the next discussion about the second story, um, the dreadful phone call, which it might not seem at the very end, it might not seem like it was a ghost story, but it all traces back to who was the prankster that called, um, you know, so they know it wasn't anything paranormal related, but yet they can't trace who it was that called, which that could lead to some paranormal activity, um, with them, them tricking them with electrical usage and stuff because that's what ghosts and um, anomalies and everything they thrive on that they thrive on electricity 
and energy um, from be it limestone, be it, um, of course, electricity, like we just talked about. Um, so I just found that interesting. That uh, and what was super creepy was is that they knew where they were in the house. So it makes me wonder if it might have been a person watching them through the window. It didn't really say if the blinds were closed. So if the blinds were closed, then that would be that would be pretty eerie too, because it's like, what? Well, how the hell do you know where I am in the, in the house? Um, so eerie things that happened on in that story. Let me know what you guys think about that. And um, it's uh, almost kind of reminds me of Scream <laughs> whenever they're they're calling on the phone and they're like, you know, what's your favorite movie? You know. And, uh, almost like that, but, uh, you know, saying that there's a bomb in your house, that, that's no, that's no joke. And, uh, that would be pretty, pretty wicked to be running outside expecting your house to fucking blow up and it not blow up. Um, and of course they did the right thing, called the police and the police came. Um, but yeah, so just, you know, make sure to be safe during all this is insane um but um yeah so let's see we'll go into the last one um the house possessed which it kind of warns you to um don't steal anything from an abandoned house or anything that might look vulnerable like that hamper that hamper was in perfect condition hadn't been touched was clean and it was just sitting there and it was sitting there for someone to pick it up and take it home. It was like a trap um, for that lady. And um, I thought that that was interesting how possessions can uh, be attached to things like that. And how they can they can uh, follow you everywhere as long as you have that item with you. And... Um, it was just an interesting story how how she lost time in there how she would be in there for seemed like only two hours and then she would be out and it had been like six hours or so um which that that happens quite a bit to be honest uh time lost is is a big big topic that a lot of people talk about um still today and uh, don't know if it just um, could be something cognitive playing with your mind or it could be something um, that's unexplained and um, so who knows um, but uh, yeah I mean so what I was wondering is um, why didn't her husband go with her I know that she wanted to be alone but he could have tagged along and um, seen what was going on but, uh, I don't know. Uh, I probably wouldn't go to an abandoned houses anyways. If it says, of course, private property or anything, I'd respect that. Um, I always feel weird. There's actually a, um, a abandoned house down the road, um, at the dead end. And, uh, I've wanted so, so many times to go up there and look through the garage door or look through the um, the front door uh, window 
And um, I always thought that someone was looking at me or watching me. So I just rode by it on my bike every day. And uh, I don't know. They still have, of course, neighbors. So I'd feel super weird if I were to walk up there and look through the windows and stuff. I'd be afraid that the neighbors would be like, you know, get off, you know, especially just like that homeowner that was saying, you know, get off my property, you know, get away from my house, um, scare me off. So, um, I don't know. Kudos to her for being, um, pretty brave and doing that. Um, it was like a welcoming, welcoming sign to her. Pretty much. That's what she said in the story. But, um, Anyways, guys, I think that that will wrap up tonight's episode or today's episode, depending on what time you're um, listening to this. But thank you guys for listening. Of course, always subscribe to our Apple podcast or Spotify or wherever you're listening listening to us from. You could even be listening to us from Simple Podcast. Um, But, um, yeah, just listening to us um, and gaining... The growing, not gaining, but growing the, the Unexpected Hauntings family is our goal. And it's working so far. So we thank you guys so much for um, for your support. And uh, we love you guys so much. And uh, don't forget to write in some ghost stories for us. We'd love to hear from you guys. Don't be shy. And I know that a lot of people are like, well, this story is too weird. We don't care. So we don't care if it's weird or what. This is a ghost story podcast, and we want to hear from you guys as well. So um, with that being said, we love you guys so much for listening to us, and we hope that you guys, you guys have a great day. Thanks, guys.